0: David Livingston was a 19th century Scottish physician,
1: pioneer missionary, and explorer. You may remember the story of his disappearance and the subsequent location of him by Henry Stanley, the New York Herald reporter in 1869, and the famous words perhaps that Stanley spoke when he found Livingston which was Dr. Livingston, I presume. He nearly lost his life in a failed attempt to find the source of the Nile River. Why? It was not for personal fame, but he wanted and desired a worldwide platform that it would give him to speak out against the evil of the African slave trade in those days. Everything that Livingston did in his life was because he had the glory of God as his motive. And that's reflected in what I want to read to you just now. He wrote, I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything, will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given
0: away and kept. Only as by
1: giving and keeping it shall most promote the glory of Him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. Yes. We glorify God by our giving, but also we should glorify God Glorify God by what we keep. We are to be good managers of all the resources that God has given us. Our giving is part of that stewardship, that management. How much we keep and what we do with that it falls into the same category. Last week, Pastor Dave highlighted the characteristics of generous giving, beginning with the fact that generous grace bestowed upon us by God
0: is where it all starts. Generous grace brings about generous giving.
1: So I would like to just use the terminology of grace giving this morning. And all I want to say to you is simply this. Grace giving is to be an important part of our lives. Not just something we do, not just something that's necessary, but something that's vitally important to our spiritual lives. And I want to give you three more characteristics, if I could add on to what Pastor Dave has so well presented to us so far. They're very simple. In fact, when we read portions of Scripture like 2 Corinthians eight and nine, we sort of read it and say, "Oh yeah, I get that." I understand that. And we just kind of keep on reading. But the scripture's so rich, so deep here, our effort has to be to try to simplify all that Paul's saying and sort it out. So, let's try to do that as we look at these three characteristics. Number one, giving is an obligation to fulfill. An obligation to fulfill. In other words, it's a matter of obedience. We see this in 2 Corinthians 8, 6, and I'm taking up at 6, as Pastor Dave finished up at verse 5 last week, so we're moving right on along. Verse 6 says, so we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would complete in you this gracious work as well. Now, interestingly, the New American Standard Version says this gracious work. A literal translation here would be the grace period. That he would complete in you the grace. What grace? The one that we started with, back in verse 1. Generous giving starts with the grace of God bestowed on us. He's talking also about the particular grace of giving, as he has
0: discussed in the first five verses. And yet, it's not just a simple, thus God says, and this we do,
1: but it's also a wonderful privilege that God has given to us, and that privilege is the privilege of self-determined application. In other words, we determine how much we're going to give. Nobody else should do that. That's... That's what God gave to us. There's no set gift, no percentage given to us here, no indication of the amount. It just simply says you need to complete what you started. And then in verse 7, Paul goes on to say this. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. And again, he simply says, in this grace or in the grace, this particular grace of giving also. Now, the command that Paul gives here at the end of verse 7 is the gentlest possible way that he could have said it, not based on the English translation so much, but it's very clear in the original. He wasn't demanding. He was just saying, you know, this is really something you should do. It's kind of like you go up to your child and you don't say, take out the trash. You say, son, I think you should take out the trash. It's, it's a very gentle admonition that he gives them here. But it reaches back to f- the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, at verse 1, Paul had instructed them already on their obligation. The problem that occurred was that between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian church kind of went astray. So to speak, the Judaizers came in and they begin to kind of corrupt what Paul had taught them the pure grace of what paul communicated and, and things became a more legalistic uh, perspective as far as the the church is concerned and and Paul had to write first Corinthians to correct not only that problem but a lot of other very serious problems. In the Corinthian church, it was a mess. It, it, they, they, were, they were into all sorts of sin and they were reaping all sorts of problems in their body as a result of that. So, 1 Corinthians was a correction and an instruction. And part of that instruction we find in chapter 16, in verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, this was the Jerusalem church, which was in dire need of assistance financially because of circumstances that they were in. They they were very poor. They were suffering. They didn't have food to eat and so on. And Paul had instructed the Corinthian church to do what he had instructed the Galatian churches to do and and the churches in Macedonia, to take this collection and share. Now, you, you say, well, Who was Paul to say, you take your money from Corinth and and give it to those people in Jerusalem? Well, Paul was an apostle first, so uh, there wasn't any question about what he said. But beyond that, we are taught to love our brother and sister. The love of the brother is a very important concept, uh, a very important admonition that flows throughout the New Testament. So he wasn't telling them, anything they didn't already know, but he makes it very clear. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatians, so do you also. He gives them their obligation. And then in verse 2, he elaborates. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when i come now first of all paul is not saying that each one in the church should take a portion of their financial resources and put them in a safe place at home and wait till paul shows up then then what he said here would make no sense because that would require a collection when he came so He's, he's saying on the first day of the week, when you gather together to worship God, as part of your worship, give toward this purpose. And then what is collected will be saved up, stored up until I come. So that's his direction. What is most important to us is when he says, as he may prosper, as each individual giver may prosper. There is no amount given. There is no percentage that he offers. He just says, as God prospers you. That means the decision rests in the heart and mind of the giver. And that decision means you draw a line between what you give and what you keep. But it does not mean that they are, it does not mean that they are for two different purposes. What
0: you give is the glorify God. What you keep is the glorify God. How you use it. Tithing was prescribed in the Old Testament law.
1: The word tithe means a tenth. <clears throat> Under the law, the Jews gave a tenth twice a year. Every third year, they gave a third tenth. They had different purposes. That was all prescribed in the law. Giving 10% is certainly within our discretion because God said it was up to us to choose. But it is not a legalistic standard because we don't live under the law. The law was nailed to the cross of Christ as we're told in Colossians 3
0: the law has been done away. By the way, all the Ten Commandments,
1: except for worshiping on the Sabbath day, is repeated as part of the New Testament revelation for us in this dispensation. Tithing, then, was for the Old Testament. It's not a part of what we have been given. Now, If somebody wants to tithe and they choose to do that based on how God prospered them, that's great. That's fine. I've known a lot of people over the years that were tithers, and they faithfully gave 10%. Not a bad way to give. It's not a prescribed way to give for us in this dispensation. It can be pushed to legalistic extremes. I'll give you an example. About five miles from the church I pastored for a number of years,
0: there was a much larger Baptist church that was very legalistic in many ways. They actually required those who were members
1: to submit their W-2 every year to the treasurer so it could be determined if they had given 10% of their income. You say, how do you know that? I know because people left that church, came to my church and told me. Well, <laughs> we didn't collect W-2s. It can be pushed to legalistic extremes, which then becomes a travesty of grace. Giving is an obligation, but it's also an obligation that comes with the privilege of us managing that in terms of the specifics. That's important. Now let's move on to the second characteristic I want to share with you this morning. Giving is not only an obligation to fulfill, but it is also a discipline to follow. A discipline to follow in terms of self-discipline. Again, what we choose, but yet whatever we
0: choose, disciplining ourselves to fulfill. Now, what I want you to see to begin with, and this is in verse 7, is that our giving and the discipline of our
1: giving corresponds to other spiritual disciplines. But just as you abound, says Paul, in everything, in faith, in utterance, and utterance, he says, and knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work. Or again, see that you abound in the grace that I'm talking about,
0: the grace of giving, grace giving. Now, exercising faith as a part of our life ongoing
1: responsibility we we need to discipline ourselves to live by faith when it comes to knowledge we need to feed on the word of god increase our knowledge when it comes to our speech our utterance well, all you have to do is read the book of james to figure out how important that is that we discipline ourselves in the way we speak You can talk about love. Earnestness has more of the idea here of sincere work or effort in behalf of God. And so he says, as you should in everything, but just as you should in everything, in faith, and he names some of them, faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness and love, so on. And then he says, see that you abound in the grace of giving, in addition to abounding in these other areas where you discipline yourself. Now, this is not quite as gentle a reminder that he gives them here. This is more of a a specific do this. (laughs) See that you abound. He kind of moves from that soft... Introduction to the subject to a more specific statement about their obligation. We need to discipline ourselves so so that we will be consistent givers. Continual and consistent giving is what he is talking about here. How do we know that? Well, that's the situation in, in, in Corinth. They had stopped they, they had determined to give so much, whatever it was, as a church, and individuals determined to give so much toward that as they chose. And then things got to such a state in Corinth, and the church was so, I guess, derailed from where they should have been, they didn't give either. And and so often, you know, one spiritual discipline will affect another. And so he has to send Titus back now. He, they begin to respond again to Paul. They begin to take care of some of these matters, as we find out in the book of 2 Corinthians. And he sends Titus then to deal with this one particular issue that they needed to complete, as he's already said. They just needed to pick up where they were at and continue doing what they should be doing. They they needed to be disciplined givers, and they had lost that in their practice. Now, if you look at the verse again, at the end, he says, well, it's actually the words in the verse twice. That, excuse me, we're going, to, we're going to a cross-reference. Back. Okay, before we go, <laughs> I wanted to read from the screen, so uh, we're getting a little confused here. But like, verse 7, just twice in verse 7, then we'll go to the cross-reference. Twice in verse 7, he says, but just as you abound in everything. At the close of verse 7, he says, see that
0: you abound in the grace of giving now that word is variously translated
1: in fact i think the new american standard says excel at some point here but to excel in giving to abound in giving sometimes it's uh It's it's the concept of overflowing. We should overflow in our faith. We should overflow. We should abound in our love and so on, those other graces. As we are disciplined to do that in that regard, we are to discipline ourselves in this matter of giving. But we read those words about abounding, excelling, and we tend to place on it in our mind this idea. Well, if I give $100 today, next week, if I'm to excel or abound, I should give $200. And if I give $200 next week, I should maybe give $400 next week. And if I give $400 next week, maybe $800 the following week. And that's what we think abounding or overflowing is. I suggest to you that's not what he's saying. Let's take a, in our minds, let's take a bucket of water. Sit down a bucket of water. You take a hose, turn it on, put the hose into the bucket, step back and watch what happens. The bucket fills up and then it begins to overflow. I don't know how much that might be that it overflows. It depends on the time. It depends on how fast the water's going in. But if you don't touch the, you know, the turnoff, you don't adjust the flow, it overflows the same. Moment by moment by moment. It doesn't overflow more one moment than it did the previous moment. It overflows the same. But if you shut off the source, it stops overflowing. He's simply referencing the fact that Corinth had stopped doing what they determined to do by the grace of God and what they determined on an individual basis to contribute to that. They'd stopped. That's all he's saying. He's not saying we have to... As the old expression goes, give till it hurts. So give till it No, that's not quite the right approach. It's not give to a certain limit and then give some more. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying practice the discipline. Anthony Rossi, whose obituary I have here with me this morning, his life demonstrates what I'm talking about. Anthony Rossi Immigrated from Sicily back in the early 1900s. He arrived in America with $25 in his pocket. But he went on to found Tropicana orange juice eventually. And he made millions of dollars. Yet he always gave away huge amounts of money. He became a Christian after coming to America... Eventually, over the years, he'd done such things as establish a center, a retirement center for missionaries later in life. It cost him $10 million to do that. It's located near Bradenton, Florida, where he lived. He gave scholarships away to divinity students over the years through a foundation he created. He gave donations to Christian colleges and seminaries. He supported missions in a great way. In fact, he favored one religious project that he really got involved in called the Bible Alliance Ministry. I think that was really the name of the ministry. I don't know what the project was called, but what they did was they produced 750,000 cassette tapes. It was a few years ago, obviously. Those tapes had recordings of Scripture on it, Bible studies, and, and, and other information. And he made them available to missionaries in a hundred countries to be given away. He went beyond that. He even invented some sort of apparatus to play these tapes where there was no electricity, or it could be done on batteries, or it could be done on various electrical sources, 110, 120, AC, DC, the whole thing. He had absolutely everything he could to make it available. He even had a built-in hand-crank generator to this unit that went with the cassettes. Now, I've read where people have estimated that Mr. Rossi gave away 50% of what he made. You know what I would say to that? That's irrelevant. You can guess all you wanted how much it was. The point was, he always gave, he continued to give, he found new ways to give, He was a giver and he never stopped giving. Even in this obituary at the bottom, it's mentioned how he wanted any gifts that could have were any financial uh, resources that would go to flowers or whatever to go to certain Christian institutions. It was not how much he gave. It was his discipline that he had of giving. And that's what we need. So we got two characteristics
0: so far. We've talked about the obligation of giving.
1: We've talked about the discipline of giving. And this third one, I, I have to admit, it, it's hard for me to conceptualize. I've done it this way. Giving is an opportunity. Now, that, that much I don't have any problem with. It's describing the rest of it that I've been back and forth on. Because it, the opportunity to help comes from a particular word here. And that word's found in verse 10, actually. Let's let's get there first. Let's begin at verse 8. 2
0: Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8.
1: There we go. I'm not speaking this, he says, as a command. Now, we've already told you how he presented his obligation to him very gently. Now he's kind of stiffened a little bit. And he makes another statement. He said, "I'm I'm not here demanding that you do this. So much as I am trying to impress upon you the importance in other ways. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love. He wants them to go back and do what they committed to do to prove to others that their love was earnest and true. Verse 9, For you know, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He's motivating them along with instructing them. He says... I want you to complete what you're doing, prove your love,
0: and I want you to follow the example of Christ himself. What percentage did Christ give to us? He gave everything, didn't he? He gave up his fellowship with the Father for a short while. He he died
1: physically. He gave his life. What he gave is is so much deeper and so much more significant than just he died physically. All that's important. He, He dreaded that becoming sin for us and expressed it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, let thy will be done, not mine. It was a deep, deep sacrifice that he made for us. He became poor that we might become rich through what he had done for us. We could go on and on about this. We could talk about it for a long time. And it's certainly worthy of that. But let's move on. Verse 10. Now Paul says, I give my opinion. (laughs) I give my judgment. He's still being very, very gentle with them. Because they, they evidently are at least moving in this direction or have indicated they're ready to take up their giving again. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to motivate them. He's trying to show them their obligation. He's trying to give them examples. He's doing all that. But look what he says. In my, I give my opinion in this matter. For this is your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago... And not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. It's that phrase in the New American Standard, it is your advantage that I want you to look at. First of all, look at the word that precedes the word advantage. The pronoun, personal pronoun here is plural. He's not referring
0: to the individual in a sense that you give to get back, he's talking to the church and he's saying that when
1: the church as a corporate body gives, everybody gets back. That's important. Now, the word translated advantage. If we go to the next verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, which is a cross-reference, we're going to see it translated a little differently, but it's the same word. Here Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. The word profitable is the same word translated advantage in 2 Corinthians 8. So, we could say, it is to your profit. I thought about, well, maybe I should say it's an opportunity to profit, but then we think money that's not what he's talking about. If I say it's an opportunity to benefit, that sounds personal, but that's probably closer to the concept. It's an opportunity for the whole church to benefit. So when the individual when the individual helps when the individual helps with that by determining what they're going to give individually and they give in terms of supporting church ministries Everybody within the church benefits. Now, how is that possible? Well, look at this verse again. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, or not all things are to your advantage, if you want to use that terminology. And then he adds a parallel statement. And he says, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, the word edify, we get our modern word edifice from it. It means to build up. It means to, in the spiritual sense, we do and say things that lift people up, encourage them, build them up into faith, and so on. So our giving actually becomes an example to others, to a degree, but we don't usually, you know, take much uh, notice of what anybody else gives, unless they tell us, we don't know. So, it's more in the sense of when you give to support the ministries of the church, the ministries of the church function in a proper manner and are able then to do the things which edifies the whole body. Let me give you an example. This goes back a few years. Somewhere after the the turn of the new century, 20-plus years ago, at the church where I was a pastor, I decided it was time that we moved away from singing out of the hymnal and singing only the old hymns, that instead we needed to sing at least some praise and worship music. Number one, because I liked it, and I was a pastor. <laughs> but more importantly, the hymns had been sung, at least in our case. So much, and so often, and for so long, people would just sing. They never had any thought about what they were singing. is just... just Oh, I already know it all. You know, they're just their minds somewhere else. So we needed something new. And we needed something to reach a new generation, or else the church is just gonna get old and then they'd all die and we'd be gone. Just the reality of it. So I began to work with our music people to do this. And we didn't really have a way to do it very well because, well, we didn't exactly have a praise and worship hymnal out there. <laughs> so I proposed we need to get a projector and we need to project the words. Well, granted, we were going through a very difficult time financially in the church. And then every, every penny was being looked at. And at that time, a, uh, a bottom-line video projector was like fifteen hundred dollars. This sounds like a small amount of money, but nobody, nobody in the leadership involved in the financial committee or whatever, could wrap their wrap their minds around why we needed to spend fifteen hundred dollars in order to uh, have a projector to project the words. And so I'm just getting nowhere on this. Well, what I couldn't do as a pastor, what I couldn't see. A, accomplished by the normal means was easily overcome by one person. It seems that this man in the church heard the youth pastor say he would sure like to have a projector to project words for music they were singing in the youth ministry. So this man went out and bought one, he bought it, brought it in, had it installed, and there it was. Well, because it wasn't in the sanctuary, as they called it, or the worship center, as I called it. It was in the other building where the youth met. But suddenly people started seeing it and saying, well, that's not a bad idea. So it wasn't long after that, we were able to get a projector for the worship center, and then we were able to begin to project the words and everything Let me, I'll put it this way. A lot of people were edified. (laughs) Some people kept saying, well, I don't see why we can't just sing the old hymns. Okay, I I get it. You know, I'm setting my ways too. But, you know, most of those people came around in time. In In the long run, what this man did by his gift edified the whole church. And this is what Paul was saying. Here in verse 10. So we have three characteristics. We have the obligation that we need to fulfill. We have a discipline we should follow, and that's been outlined as how we do that. And then, thirdly, we understand that when we give, there is a mutual benefit, somehow, some way. Through the ministry of the church,
0: you participate in the edification of the whole. Now, let me remind you once again of what David Livingston
1: said because he said it so well. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept. Only as by giving or keeping it, I shall most promote the glory of Him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. And so as we give or we keep, we glorify God. And God has given us the privilege of drawing the line in our own individual lives. What we give glorifies God. What we keep should glorify Him as well. Giving is an important obligation. Using what we keep is an important obligation too. As Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for his own household, he is denied to faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now we must draw this line carefully. Since he has given, God has given us the responsibility, we should draw this line very carefully and very responsibly. And we should not ever draw it out of guilt, coercion, or some legalistic standard, or any other reason. And there's plenty of ministries out there that guilt people
0: into giving to their ministry. I know you don't like that either. I I mean, we,
1: you know, but it's effective. Never let these things determine what you give, but draw that line as the Spirit of God leads you to fulfill your obligation and be a disciplined giver. That's the
0: message Paul has for us here.